So yeah, I went to school in Ohio, and now I'm here. Ohio. Is that the um, state schools thing? Yeah, I don't the know football, the state schools. It's like a football cheer. Ohio. You know what I'm talking about, Bill? Dang it, you guys. I'm 0 for 2 this morning. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Leadem to Life. Happy almost Christmas. Happy almost Christmas. That's from a movie. What movie is that from? Happy, happy Christmas. What's the thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, that's okay. It'll come to me later. Somebody's yelling. I say this all the time, but somebody's yelling at me in their car like, this is what you're thinking of. Um, Mo Irvine, welcome to Lead Him to Life. Thank you. <laughs> it's a joy, joy, joy to have you. Um, it's I. So every once in a while, I stop in your office. You're on second floor. I'm going to have you introduce yourself in a second. But this is just like a delightful thing for me. Every once in a while, um, when your door is open and you're here, you're not meeting with people, I get to stop in. And every time after I leave a conversation with you, um, almost always that night, my husband will ask me, like, how was your day? And I'll, and I'll say, if I had a conversation with Mo, I'm like, I had the best conversation with Mo today. <laughs> like, you just have a beautiful way of sharing awesome things that God is doing and all of those things. So it's a delight for me to have conversations with you anytime and even more of a delight to have you on the podcast. So Mo, introduce yourself. Who are you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, my name is Mo Irvine. Um, I'm a native of South Dakota. Uh, over the past... Garretson? Aren't you from Garretson? Yes. Right? Okay. Garretson. Yeah. Yep. Small town. Um, yeah. I've been working for the diocese for a little over a year now. Um, but before that, I worked for the Cathedral Parish um, doing faith formation. So yeah, I went to school in Ohio and now I'm here. Ohio. Is that the um, state schools thing? Yeah, I don't the know football, the state schools. It's like a football cheer. Ohio. You know what I'm talking about, Bill? Dang it, you guys. I'm 0 for 2 this morning. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Mo, you um, now for the diocese, you work in prison ministry. Yes. Um, I have a tendency to like name the elephant in the room. This is going to be the fastest charge that I ever make at the elephant <laughs> in the room. But how in the heck did you? How in the heck did you get involved in prison ministry? Because I mean, some people can see you on you know on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube. But um, you're a young woman. You're not necessarily the type of person that I'd immediately think like, oh, they're gonna go into the prison. You know, how did this happen? Yeah. Well, there wasn't one big thing that led to me doing prison ministry. I think it was a lot of little things. Um, but if I had to summarize or pick up a couple points. One would be um, when I was at college, uh, I would pray outside the abortion clinic in Pittsburgh like every Saturday. And I would also talk to the people just like walking by on the streets because I'm like, mm-hmm. I need I need something. Else. I need like to talk to people um, that aren't in like a crisis situation or aren't in a, a oh, stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And so I would talk to people on the street and there was just a handful of them that I'm I was talking to, and they're like, oh, you have a rosary. Can I have a rosary? I'm like, how do you know what a rosary is? And they're like, oh, someone gave it to me in prison. I learned how to pray the rosary in prison. And I'm like, you are so down to earth. You are so easy to talk to. Like, what is this? Like, five or six in the last, like, few years of college. Yeah. And so I'm like, there's something here. Like, 
Where? I love talking to these people. And then when I moved back to South Dakota, um, I was thinking, okay, well, I kind of missed my chance. That was a, it was an outreach at Franciscan, but I wasn't able to participate because of my schedule. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, that's not a thing like real people do out in the real world. So yeah. um, I reached out to Father Jeff when I found out he was- Father Jeff Norfolk. Mm-hmm, yeah. The chaplain. And I said, do people volunteer? Is that a thing? And he's like, yeah, we'd love to have volunteers. So I let him get his feet wet in the prison a little bit. And then I filled out the paperwork and started going. And I'm like, okay, I'll give you like an hour every other week. That's it. And then it became an hour every week. And then it became twice a week. And then it became three times a week. And then uh, I was going in as many times as I could. And I just fell in love with the people and um, the real conversations. And then we pitched it. Um, as a job, a full-time job to help Father Jeff because instead of having there's two full-time priests, yeah. there's just him now and he has an outside parish too. So, yeah. yep. Okay, tell me what was happening in that journey from like one time a week to two times a week to as much as I could be in there. I mean, you said I fell in love with the people, but I, I can only imagine the first time that you walked in, it was maybe a little intimidating. I can only, I mean, was it intimidating? Um, the, okay, so this is just shows who I am. The most intimidating part was walking in the door. Like not okay. even like in the part where the guys are, but just like, I want to make sure I go in the right door. I don't want to wander. The rules. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And so, which I'm like, duh, if it's not the right door, it's going to be locked. But um, that was the most intimidating part. And then once I got in the room with the guys for Bible study, I was like, okay, here we are. I'm yeah. just curious what they'll share and what they won't share. And the the first day that I was there, it was the things that were shared was a depth that doesn't always happen. And so it was like this beautiful grace of like hearing someone else ask, like, why can't I fix myself? Whoa. Like, I have all this brokenness, but I'm an educated person. Like, why can't I fix myself? And some other guy who just looked crazy like had crazy hair and just like a lot of tattoos said dude it's like you're in a hole and you can't see outside of that hole because you're in it but someone else that has the hole can help you get out because they can see outside the hole but you need other people and I was like this is so profound yeah yeah, like what they're sharing and I'm like I want more of this like this real conversation Mm -hmm. this depth you know Mm -hmm. so how would you describe the relationships that you've started to build? Because in some ways, I mean, you know these you know these guys really, really well. Mm-hmm. Do they do you, do you feel like they know you really well? Like what's that dynamic? I think it depends on the person. Okay. Um so I think some of them definitely are getting to see my personality and like my quirks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh and then some of them just see the very much like I'm prepping for mass, I'm setting these things up, I'm making sure uh, people have books to mm-hmm. follow along and they see more like the quiet, like I'm just being attentive to things and not necessarily talking as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have the opportunity to, to go in and have one-on-one conversations with some guys. Um, and that's when it really unfolds. And um, I think that like one of the big things for me is sharing like how I handle like just really real things um, like emotions and different things like that. So, um, and that's, that helps them see that like, I don't have to like shove it down until it explodes, but like, this is normal to be like frustrated with somebody. And like, what do you do with that frustration? Um, so that's becoming more of a thing. I'm trying to be more transparent in that. 
Um, but yeah, I think some of them are definitely getting to know me more. Fascinating. Yeah. What's been, I'd, I'd love to know just like, what's been the most surprising part for you? Because I think I, I would have, um, and I'm alluding to this obviously, but like, I think I would have these preconceived notions. I think mm-hmm. a lot of us mm-hmm. and people listening as well have preconceived notions of what prison looks like, mm-hmm. what it would be like or whatever. Um, based on movies that we've seen or something right, like that, right? right? Like we have these these preconceived ideas and, and quite honestly, and in all transparency, I think we have judgments mm. um, towards other people uh, a lot of times. What's been the most surprising part to you or did you come in with any of those things and now you're like, oh man, this wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be? So it, I know it sounds strange, but I didn't really have not that I was aware of any preconceived notions about like these are what the people are going to be like. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have to battle that. Mm. Um, But I think like one of the most surprising things is like the level of vulnerability, which it doesn't always happen, but there are moments when, well, some of them, I mean, it's hard to generalize because there's so many different experiences, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're just so hungry to be seen and to be known. And if they get this sense that you're, you really care and that you're going to listen, they will tell you their whole life story. And (laughs) before they even tell you their name. Right. Right. (laughs) So I think that just, I'm not that vulnerable, like in a sense, Mm -hmm. like I'm not that open and transparent with people of like, Oh, this is like my struggle. This is my life. I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, Mm. but they, yeah, if they trust you, if they get a sense that you actually care, they just tell you everything. Like, not all of them, but a lot of them. Why do you think that is? I think there's a poverty of being listened to and heard in the prison um, and in their life. Like, if you hear their stories, um, a lot of them, if their parents were around, they struggled with many addictions or they were raised by grandparents who were raising a bunch of their cousins and so they didn't have like the the nurture and the attention that they needed. Um, and in in the prison, uh, if they're sharing with some people, like I've seen it be where they're talking to another guy and the other guy's just waiting to talk, not listening, just waiting to like share their problems. And then they do. And then the other guy's just waiting to be able to talk again. Um, but there's not necessarily like people to listen and hear them mm-hmm. and not. Like, I don't try to fix their problems, um, but to receive them and try to journey with them Mm -hmm. in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Man, that's that's a good reminder, just even as you're talking about that. That's a good reminder for us. Mm. Am I really being an active listener? Mm. Or am I just waiting to respond, Mm -hmm. listening to to listen versus listening to respond? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that can be hard, especially if we have... Um, I have people all the time that are like, oh, I just kind of get anxiety in social situations right. or, you know, when I'm the holidays are coming up, I just read something recently like, OK, I'm panicking about going to the Christmas parties because I I don't know how to make small talk well mm-hmm. or whatever. And mm-hmm. so um, they were talking about just really being and you used this word earlier, curious, mm. um, like I w- I'm going to be curious. Mm. And in that there's a lot of freedom that I don't have to listen to respond. I just need to listen to listen to mm-hmm. really like. I want to probe you. I want to know you. I want to understand mm-hmm. you and where you come from. And, you know, 
that kind of thing, which I just think is a really profound thing. Mm. Um, as you've been meeting with um, some of these different men, can you, I don't know if you, this is probably not even a fair question, but do you feel like you can almost like pick up things that you have learned about humanity that have really struck you in the process? Because you're sitting, I mean, you are sitting with humanity mm-hmm. each and every day. Um, in a way that I don't even get to do. Sometimes I feel like I'm sitting at my desk mm. or whatever. You are just really sitting with the beauty and the 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 ugly of humanity mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, are, and we've all got it. We've all got it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is, what are some of the things that you've learned about the human person through this process or maybe even yourself? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I'm constantly learning things um, about humanity. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Like people are Mm -hmm. so beautiful, even in the mess of life and the the struggle. I don't know. I just I'm constantly like whenever I'm leaving the prison, I'm just like I'm just so privileged to be able to listen to these people's stories and for them to share like the real struggle of life. Um, But I guess if I had to summarize all of it, I've just learned that like people do want to hope. And like believe in the good, hmm. um, even though they've had horrible lives, like just major struggles that I've never experienced. There's still this desire to pursue good and to see themselves as good, mm-hmm. and that's a big thing to overcome. Um, just not believing you're good, and yeah, I'm. I just love being able to point to who they truly are and be like, "This is you," not like. I see all your tattoos. I know your affiliations. I know all these different things. But like that moment when you shared that thing, that's you. That's the real you. Do they receive that? I think so. I mean, for the most part, I think most of them do because it it doesn't happen right away. It happens after many conversations of them sharing and me asking questions. And um, there's usually like, I don't have this... uh, formula of this is when I ask those questions. Right. Um, But I just love the deep questions and they're so hungry for it. Like sometimes they'll be like, oh, you're going so deep. Like, ah. And I'm like, okay, like you lead. If you want to go back to like more superficial conversations, that's fine. But then it all starts trickling back to like the deep, real, true questions of life of like, who am I? Yeah. Why am I here? Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, but you brought it back there. And they're like, oh, I did. I'm like, it's because it feeds you in a way that all these other conversations don't, right? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Are you allowed to give any examples of like what some of those look like, obviously without sharing names and that kind of thing? Are you allowed yeah. to do that? Sure. Because I would love to know, like walk us through some, because <clears throat> like I said, I just, there's there's such a beauty in the humanity and the many examples that you've shared with me personally that mm-hmm. are so moving mm. to me and help and have really helped um, undo some of my preconceived notions, mm-hmm. um, not only about, you know, people in prison, but also about like the people in my life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it just really, it kind of like resets this, um, I don't know, just like mercy with which we can look at each other and love mm-hmm. each other in mm-hmm. all of our joys and and trials, you know? So yeah. I just, I don't know if there's any like specific examples that are coming to your mind right now, but. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different ones. Uh, just explaining how they 
share themselves and how life unfolds. Um, there's this one guy who I'm currently meeting with about once a week or so. And, uh, I knew him when I first started going in. Okay. So in January, it'll be three years since I started volunteering, which is crazy. That is crazy. Um, but yeah, so he came to Bible study some, but he would never talk. He would just sit there and like lean back in his chair. But he would come? Yep, he would come. He, and then he'd like bounce. As soon as like it was over, he would just leave. I'm out. Yeah, and he has all these face tattoos and all these neck tattoos and everything. And so I'm like, all right, I want to like, I, I like how lightly you take that. I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so intimidated. And you're like, oh, he's got all these tats. Like. Oh, I'm so fascinated by tattoos. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. <laughs> so uh, I didn't get to know him very well. Uh, during the Bible study, but then he came to Mass a few times, and at one point he was stressing because he hadn't heard from his girlfriend, and so I'm like, hey, this Mass can be like a sacrifice for her. Like, you can offer it up um, because you're concerned about you don't know if she's okay or whatever, and he's like, okay, and so I I think he like really prayed during that Mass. Um, Anyway, so he gets out, uh, finishes his sentence. Well, he commits another crime uh, less than a year since he got out. So now he's back in. But when he was in county, before he got sentenced, uh, Father Jeff and I connected with him again. And so we would go in about once a week and just start talking to him and be like, what do you want from life? Like, is this what you want? And um, he he has a major drug problem and uh, doesn't really have, I mean, most of his family also struggles with substance abuse. And anyway, so now I'm still meeting with him, but he's in the prison. And the conversations that we have, they all keep coming back to like, who is he? Um, and because he he has certain affiliations, so he's in a gang, um, he has this persona of like, I'm tough and I'm hard and like, I don't care about people. And he said that to me before. He's like, I have a cold heart, Mo. And I'm like, I'm like, that's the biggest joke ever. He's like, what? And he gets so offended. He's like, what What are you talking about? I'm like, no, I've seen the real you. And that's not you. Like, you're trying to fool yourself into thinking that that's you. But in just like his hunger for like the truth and who he is and people, um, I've just seen, yeah, he wants to be seen as good, but he's also afraid of failing at it um, because his parents weren't supportive of him or encouraging of him or uh, I mean he got into the gang when he was really young probably like 12 or 10 or around there so that was the major influence in his life of this 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 is what it looks like to be a human person this is what it looks like to be a man growing up Um, but still he'll have these conversations with me and he's going wait do you know who I am how do you know who I am how are you telling me things that I'm experiencing and I tell him, it's because I know you. Like, I've seen the real you. It's not just all these tattoos and all this, like, hardness, but it's like you have this joy, and he's such a goofy person. And so, like, pointing to that and being like, that's the real you. That's you that doesn't have to prove yourself to anybody, but you can just be. And then, of course, as soon as he's starting to go down the steps where he's going to see officers, it's like he puts his, like, walls back up, and it's like I have to—people can't see me like this. Like, it's okay up in the office— with Father Jeff or Mo, but to survive in here, it looks different. Is that frustrating for you? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because I want other people to see the truth of who they are, um, because I think that that would transform the culture. Yeah. But also, 
because of their history of just people walking away from them, I'm like, I get it. It's, it's the struggle of I'm being very vulnerable with you right now. And it takes a lot for me to just trust. You're not going to go tell other people, but also like, I don't know how to be that way yet. So I have to protect myself. I don't even know how. Yeah. Cause they've never experienced it outside yeah. of this time where they're encountering authentic love. Yeah. In, in prison. Yeah. In your office. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I just have to like sit, I just have to sit with that for a second because I think, um, isn't that true of so many things in that I want to love better. I want to whatever mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, that, that takes practice. That takes a safe environment. Mm-hmm that that can be received. And mm-hmm. that's probably one thing that's really lacking is there's not that safe environment yeah. for the vulnerability to be received. Yeah. You kind of mentioned like just the the gang reality, um, which I remember the first time you telling me that, I was like, <laughs> I just was like, man, it's South Dakota, funny. Like I just, right. I did, like I'm so unaware. I'm just mm-hmm. so unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that, how have you seen that kind of impact culture, um, person's ability to a, a person's ability to find freedom um ultimately like ha, what's the what's the impact of that well there's some of my favorite people really <laughs> yes uh, why do you know why just like just because <sighs> okay so when people would ask me about prison ministry i would say oh middle school ministry prepared me for prison ministry and they always laugh because i was a middle school youth minister yeah. at in brookings yeah and i'm I'm for real when I say that because uh, middle schoolers, they have a lot of awkward and a lot of attitude. And once you get past that, then they just open up and they like just the unfold before you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think like gangsters are like that too. Like once you get past the awkward and the attitude and like the, I want you to be intimidated by me. And you're like, oh, nope, not going to work. <laughs> then it's like, wait, you're not scared of me? Like, I've done all these things to make you intimidated, like uh, to be intimidated yeah. by me. Yeah. Like you're not. Why are you not? Why and I'm are you like, not afraid of me? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what's that mean? What's that mean? What are those you're tattoos like, mean? Tell yeah. me all about your tattoos. <laughs> yep. Yep. And they're like, I can't tell you about that. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. One of those. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, they, they just, I don't know. Once they start to unfold, they're like the greatest people. Um, and so because they have been in the gang, um, and I think it's more often ones who've been in it from a very young age, um, they just really want to belong somewhere. Um, so there's this gang rehabilitation program at, in LA by father Greg Boyle, homeboy industries. Um, and he says, nobody runs to a gang. They run from something else. And so, like they just find this group of people that are also running, you know, um, and they want to belong somewhere right. and they just want people who are at least going to like, I think a lot of them know that it's not like healthy love, that it's not what uh family should be, but they're like, well, at least we're in this together. So you have to have my back to some extent, mm-hmm. which they maybe didn't receive that outside of the game, mm-hmm. like in their families mm-hmm. or wherever. Mm-hmm. So, Mm-hmm. They're some of the most <clears throat> loyal people, but they also have 
a skewed sense of what loyalty means. Yeah. Because they're not actually, like, some of them, like, they're loyal to a fault. Well, um, <laughs> uh, because they'll defend what isn't good. And I'm like, true loyalty, like, Defends seeks the, the good. good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, can you, okay, you told me about a book. Um, oh, gosh, and I don't remember the name of it, so you're going to have to read my mind. Um, where the author was writing about a pers- like world the worldview that comes from gang membership kind of thing. Okay. And do you know what I'm talking about? I think you told me about this and um, how it's been so helpful as a book that you've like given to mm. um, gang members. And they're mm-hmm. like, this is me. Like mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is, well, do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. So that's Father Greg Boyle. That is wrote, his book. Yeah, he wrote okay. a couple different books. So he okay. has Tattoos on the Heart. Yes. And Barking to the Choir. Yes. So, yep. Those. Yep. Okay. So, um, what have you, like, why do you think that that has been such a powerful resource mm. for the people that have read it, for the for the guys that have read it, or that you've kind of walked, maybe walked through it with them or whatever? Yeah. Uh, I think it's powerful because they can see that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Someone else has experienced what they've experienced, and they can put words to it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's really powerful for them to they have all these emotions and all these feelings, but they don't necessarily know how to articulate them. Mm-hmm. And so when someone's saying, this is my experience, and they can say, that was me. I experienced that too. And then they can see, but they changed their life. And this is where they went with it. And it was okay. You know, they didn't fail at it. They they tried and they had a, a community of people to support them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what they're seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think to be able to put words to what they're feeling and what they've experienced is really powerful for mm-hmm. them. Cause it's almost, I think the way that you've described it is like, it's, it's almost as though they have a completely different worldview, which and this, and we know this, right? Like mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. affects our mm-hmm. worldview, the culture yeah. that we're raised in, the experiences that we have, the level yeah. of attachment or a lack of attachment mm-hmm. to, you know, secure parental um, environment, that kind of thing. Like it really has a massive impact on how we see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, to be able to have, to be able to read someone that's describing their experience, which is forming a worldview. Yeah. So a view of loyalty, that's not mm-hmm. true loyalty, for example, mm-hmm. um, as you said, I just, I think that's really a powerful, um, I don't know, that's just a really powerful thing yeah. to, to name for individuals. Yeah. And I think, in just learning how to live at the heart level versus just like the head or like mm. your exterior experiences or whatever. Um, I think that's, they have to learn that, you know, some mm-hmm. of them are very familiar and they want to avoid that. So they want to shove it down. Mm-hmm. But others, it's like, how do I, how do I live from my heart? How mm-hmm. do I live more alive and more human experience mm-hmm. of the world? Mm-hmm. Um even just last week, we were visiting with a guy who we know from prison who is in county. And we were asking these questions and he's sitting there going like, I don't, I don't know. And he's, but he's sitting with them. And then I said, is this what you're experiencing? Is this what's going on inside of you? And he's like, yes, that's exactly what's going on. I'm like, okay. And Father Jeff and I were talking about it later of like, it's so powerful to give them words to what they've experienced because one, we've experienced it as humans too. Mm-hmm as well as like to explore what's going on in your heart rather than just try to distract yourself. 
Um, and he was saying like, oh, I'm really good at distracting myself. Like oh, I'll, yeah. I'll watch TV and I'll play cards and I'll do this Aren't because I don't want to think about how I've disappointed people or how I've disappointed myself. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable. Yep. Dang. Yeah. See, that's the kind of stuff that's like, that's human. Mm-hmm. That is so human. And we yeah. all do it to varying degrees, mm-hmm. I think, when we're uncomfortable with pieces of ourself. Yeah. You know, I just mm-hmm. asked... Um, uh, somebody recently there, the religious, um, said, what's the hardest part about um, your vocation? Mm. And they said, uh, self-awareness, yeah. the reality of who I am mm. and growing in deepening awareness of my like inadequacies yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it is like, it's so uncomfortable mm-hmm. for us and it can lead to shame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times. I did a podcast with Teresa Hendrickson yep. a couple yep. weeks ago about shame. And yep. like, that's so, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Like that's getting caught in and stuck in shame. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to say something about parenting, but it's going to relate. So stick with okay. me. Yeah. Um, parenting toddlers is like a regular exercise for me in like um, staying in the ring, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it can be, you say the same thing over and over again and you're reinforcing those same things over and over again. And I think it, there's times for me when I'm at my worst that I can get really like um, jaded. What's the word I'm looking for? Frustrated, mm-hmm. um, lacking in hope. That like, are we ever gonna? Or like, are we ever just gonna get to the point where we can say like, okay, we're gonna go to the store, and within thirty seconds, people have their shoes on and coats on, and they're like loading up and ready to go. Like, is that ever gonna happen? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. nope, we're back at it again. Like, yeah, put your shoes on. Okay, yep, let's put your shoes on. Yep, thank you for showing me. Let's put your shoes on. Like, it's so it can be so challenging. Mm-hmm. You ever get to the point where you can just leave the house, Bill? Does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> no, he says not yet. Um, how do you remain hopeful? Mm. How do you, because I, you know, you've mentioned a couple times they got out or like a, a person that got out and then they're back in because mm. they're dealing with the same addiction mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whatever. Like, how do you remain hopeful when it feels like there's this, uh, this continuing cycle mm. of like, Back in the trenches, back in the trenches. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, for one, when I see the truth of who they are and I get to just like soak it in and it teaches me so much about God and myself. Mm -hmm. Like even though they go out, they break their parole, they come back in. I'm like, I still know who you are. And Mm -hmm. I know that there's this such goodness in you that the world deserves and then the world needs to see. So it's like from that, like the taste of that, that I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I know you're going to like, you're going to tell me all these things that you were doing when you were out and none of them are going to be things that I'm going to be happy about. But like, I know who you are and you have to remember who you are and mm-hmm. you need to be comfortable with who you are so much so that when you go out, like you can mm-hmm. say no to other people, you mm-hmm. can say no to things and you can be free to be yourself rather than trying to, shove it down or mm-hmm. numb yourself from yeah. the reality of life. Mm-hmm. So I think just like in seeing their goodness and how it brings life to me that I'm like, okay, I, I can't give up in this because God made them this way. Yeah. And that that's changed me. Oh. And I want to see that more. So yeah. I don't know. That's so no, that's so beautiful. That's changed me. You just used the word free. Um 
And as we kind of like wrap up our conversation for today, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how um, you are literally working with the imprisoned mm. people that by all means have no freedom. Mm. How have you in the experience of really ministering to them, how have you witnessed to them become free? Um, even when stuck in a prison cell. Yeah. So the first one that comes to mind is this man who I met. Um, I don't know if it was Bible study or a retreat, but anyway, I didn't know him very well. And then on a retreat, I had just given a talk. And then, and he's just one of those people that everything that comes out is like super angry. And like the way he says everything and like his face is just like, I'm so angry. And so he asks this question and I like sat down beside him and I'm thinking, you can't laugh right now because, because I'm like, what you're asking does not match up with your facial expressions. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, so he's asking these questions and then he just started going on to these other things that he was really frustrated about. I'm like, how about we have a conversation? And he's like, okay. So I called him up to the office the next week and that. Then months later, like we had conversations about once a week or every other week for months. And then um, we, Father Jeff and I connected with him at a different prison a couple hours away. Uh, so I'd known him for over a year, maybe a couple years. And I had this conversation with him. And he was expressing things. And I just like said, dude, do you realize that what you're saying, like, you're joyful. Like you're talking about what makes you happy. And like, and the way he was expressing it, he was using his facial expressions. He was, it wasn't this like angry thing, but it had, it had been week after week after week of him saying something super aggressive and angry. And I'm like, is this what you mean? And then he's like, yeah. Reframing it and then for I, him. Yeah. And even like part of the way through it, he goes, I don't mean it to sound this way. I just don't know how to say it any other way. And I'm like, right. You don't mean it to sound angry. He's like, right. I just, you get it. And I'm like, yeah, you get it. yeah. And so like, and being able to not just like be offended by what he's saying or how he's saying it, but reflecting back of like, is this your question? Is this what you're looking for? And then he can say, yes. Um, again, this whole thing of being understood, of being seen and not being like put off by mm -hmm. his expressions, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. much so that he was able to like, to say like things that make him happy, things mm -hmm. that like, he wants to, he, I said, if you could be anywhere, he's like, I don't want to be here like right now in this prison. I'm like, okay, well, if you could be anywhere else, where would you be? He's like, well, fishing. And I'm like, well, why? And he's like, well, cause I don't have to be with people. I'm like, you don't want to be with people. He's like, well, sometimes I don't want, I'm like, but you love people. Like you don't, you, you come off as very aggressive, yeah. but like, you don't want to be alone. And he's like, you're right. I don't want to be alone. And I'm like, okay. So you want to go fishing for a couple hours, not like a whole, like you don't want to yeah. be by yourself. He's like, right. But like, I like sometimes being by myself, but I don't want to be alone. All the time. Right. And so like just these different things of like yeah. how they express themselves and just knowing that like, it's a good desire. It's okay to want to be alone. I'm an introvert. I want to be alone. Like I need that, but you don't want to be alone forever. Mm -hmm. And to be comfortable to say that, which I mean, the first time I met him, like, no, he'd be like, I don't, I don't like anybody or anything. I hate the whole world. And now it's like, I don't want to be alone. And like, that's okay. 
Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> that's just one story. That's just one story, <laughs> but that's freedom. Mm-hmm. That's freedom. That's that's becoming who he actually is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just, that's becoming who you are. And, and that's freedom. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately freedom. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm reflecting as you're talking about all of this, that this is going to come out uh, the week of Christmas. Yeah. And, um, you know, people might listen to it later, but just this reality of, um, yeah, the world is celebrating Christmas and there are people in prison cells mm-hmm. alone who at the heart of, in their heart of hearts, don't want to be alone because mm-hmm. we're not made for it. Yeah. Um, and so I just, yeah, I want to invite, I think, our listeners to just pray mm-hmm. for, um, Pray for our peoples in prison. Pray for our people in prison, um, and for those that minister to them so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Because there's a real, uh, there's a beauty there. There's mm-hmm. a real beauty there. In uh, we have an expression in my family: loving the hard to love. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I think it can be a little intimidating to love, where we have, like I talked about earlier, these preconceived notions of who these people are. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they are human, mm-hmm. just like we are. Mm-hmm. And um, with a few different decisions, or you know shifts in our life experience we could be in the same place mm-hmm. right now and mm-hmm. so there's just a real um attentiveness i think in my heart to mm-hmm. to them right now in this in this season to mm-hmm. just love on them and pray for them um mo i want to thank you for sharing your your heart for this it mm-hmm. also it gets me thinking outside the box mm-hmm. of maybe how god wants to use me mm-hmm. because like i said at the beginning like you're not necessarily the first person that i would have thought like oh <laughs> she would love going into the prisons you know yeah. um but it, there's it's it's so clearly an anointing on your life mm-hmm. and um yeah i think it just invites me to reflect like man mm-hmm. how does god want to use me and it might not look like what i think it's going to look like right. um and so just to be really open to, mm-hmm. to that, I think is a profound thing. Okay, my, my last question for you. Um, I ask every guest that comes on Lead Him to Life, what's a question that you've been pondering? And this is really just comes from my desire to be curious about people, about mm-hmm. ourselves, mm-hmm. and about God. So I wanna know, Mo, is there a question that you have been pondering recently? Wow. Um, <laughs> I think the question lately that I've been pondering is, what does it look like to love people who aren't open to it? Um, who don't want to be loved. Yeah, or they don't know how to receive it. Mm-hmm. And like the goodness, like what's the goodness in that of like learning how to love them when, yeah, when it's not being received? Um, because I know for me, like the Lord's loving me constantly, but I'm not always receiving it. So I'm like, Lord, how do you love me? Like why do you continue when I'm not open to it. So it's applicable to me and everyone else. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking of my family, mm. you know, mm-hmm. my, my toddler girls when they're not open to receiving it. <laughs> yeah. What does that look like? But also in the bigger, in the bigger things, um, mm-hmm. those, the adults that we come into light, into contact with too. Yeah. Mo, thank you again for sharing your, your heart for this, your experiences. It's just so, it's so cool. It's so fascinating. It's, um, it's inspiring all at the same time. So I just really appreciate you sharing. Um, friends, I hope that you share this episode with a friend. I hope that you start thinking about how God might want to use you. Um, and remember to pray for people that might be, um, a little more alone than they'd like to be this Christmas season. We'll see you next time.